Hello, and thanks for joining us for another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a fresh and insightful interview featuring one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. You can subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. And if you're enjoying the director's cut, please take a moment to like, share, or comment. We love hearing your feedback. This episode takes us into the war-torn Nuba Mountains of Sudan with director Kenneth A. Carlson's new documentary, The Heart of Nuba. The film covers the work of Dr. Tom Katina, who treats as many as 400 patients a day at Mother of Mercy Hospital, as the region is bombed relentlessly by war criminal Omar al-Bashir. His patients come to him from hundreds of miles away on foot, in carts, or cradled in their mother's arms. The Heart of Nuba was screened as part of the DGA's documentary series, which aims to spotlight groundbreaking nonfiction films for DGA members and guests by presenting screenings of documentaries as well as conversations with their directors. In addition to The Heart of Nuba, Mr. Carlson's filmography includes the feature film Special Delivery, the documentary Go Tigers, the television series documentary America's Most Wanted, America Fights Back, and the short films Diner Formal, Dating Avi, and Big Gus. Following the documentary series screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Carlson spoke with director Chuck Workman about filming The Heart of Nuba. During their conversation, Mr. Carlson discusses how he convinced Dr. Tom Katina to be the subject of the film, his unique strategy to get human rights organizations to help him bring the film to a wider audience, and the arduous process of filming with a crew of only himself and a cameraman. Uh, Ken has done a lot of movies, and he's done these Q&As everywhere, not just for this film, for, for other films. And you can read his bio in the, um, in the brochure. Uh, Doesn't mean I know what to say. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> well, it, it, you know how to talk about this particular film, and that's what filmmakers, uh, that's what's great about filmmakers is they can articulate usually about the film. We also have the supervising editor and the editor here, and maybe they'll come up uh, a little later when we'll have maybe a question for them. Uh, but I, obviously the, the subject matter is so important, and... Uh, uh, Ken will tell you about this, but he's going back there tomorrow to uh, to shoot some more with Bashir, who is doing all the bombing. So, in fact, let's talk about that now. So, what what's the deal with that? Well, the correct phrase is I'm not going back uh, there because I've never been to Khartoum and I've never oh. been in front of Omar Hassan al-Bashir. Uh, but I am uh, going back to Sudan and I'm going to face uh, this, uh, this genocidal tyrant. Um, and I feel it's it's something that needs to be done. And I feel I explained this to my 12-year-old daughter last night uh, that this this man, Tom Katina, Dr. Tom, has brought so much hope to this part of the world. And this film now has brought hope to a wide swath of people in the world. In fact, we got it to 
to the majority leader of the Sudanese parliament, uh, Mahdi Ibrahim. He saw the film and said, I promise you I will get this to Omar Hassan al-Bashir. I will show it to him. He's a good friend of mine. I'm like, yeah, right. He did. And within two weeks of that promise, I got a call from him in Khartoum saying, Omar Hassan al-Bashir, our president has seen the film and he is now going to enact a ceasefire because of your film. Mm. So I naturally thought a great time to, to get in front of him, right? I mean, here's an opportunity to, to find out how exactly uh, this film uh, affected him. And uh, I'm trying to, to uh, uh, I would like to establish a, a, a humanitarian corridor, as you can see, is missing and uh, in this part of the world. And uh, I'm going back with that as my main uh, uh, motivation. And that's, uh, I'm, I'm going to leave there with some semblance of or some promise uh, that we will establish that. Um. Yeah, and that's just an example of, of what we talked about and where I think when I introduced the film, I mentioned that it was different in terms of the kind of films uh, because even though you're a professional filmmaker and uh, Kenny told me he owned studios and, uh, uh, that, that are rented out to TV shows and things like that, so he's very much a part of our culture and our world uh, of commercial filmmaking, but yet he does what a lot of people can ought to do, but don't always do, is he uses that income and that time and that facility to kind of do these kind of projects. But what I was interested in was how this project was basically, you called it a humanitarian network that, that of distribution, that you started with uh, uh, organizations. It wasn't like you were trying to I mean, you did do the festivals, and you and you will have a distributor, but you were very much involved, with, as you said, with the with these institutions. Can you tell us how they how they worked with the film? I mean, obviously they they were interested in the film, but but how did they help you, and how do you think they helped the film? Yeah, well, there's two ways I I thought I could go about uh, uh, promoting this film and creating awareness for this film. One was to uh, to get a distributor, to get a you know a producer's rep, and get a distributor, and get it out uh, in the theaters, or to to rally the troops, so to speak, and gather some uh, momentum by reaching out to NGOs, reaching out to Amnesty uh, International, Human Rights Watch, Act for Sudan, uh, Operation Broken Silence, uh, all of these incredible groups that are social justice, human rights oriented. We did that, they saw the film, and the reaction was overwhelming. We want to be a part of this. So we assembled a 78, uh, I guess, I think it's 78 uh, uh, NGOs uh, that have supported this film. And we have gone, uh, we've, I've just, I was just telling Chuck that we have uh, screened the film on Capitol Hill for Congress. We've screened at the Italian Senate. We went to the House of Lords in Westminster Palace and, and screened it. We went to the International Criminal Court uh, for a lot of the justices and, and screened the film. So we caught fire in that way. And then we started doing a, a small pockets of, of uh, humanitarian uh, or, or human rights, uh, social justice areas like Redding, California. So that gave us the momentum then uh, to, to find a distributor uh, which we have, and and we're going to have a theatrical release in February, uh, and we've got uh, digital. Uh, I'm sorry, the uh, 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 
content media owns the worldwide rights now and, and has a platform that they're going out with. So we started that way. We knew people would react to it the way we did. Uh, Jeff uh, Werner and, uh, and Sarah Brockoff are here, worked on it. We, we really thought people would react to it, but we didn't get that initial bite with Sundance, which I've been in, in several times. And we didn't get it from Toronto. So we decided, you know, without that major launch, which I know it can do to a film, because I've been there, we decided to go this route, and I'm so glad we did because now we've built our army. We've built our believers, and uh, we are now ready to, to set sail. And the Catholic Church, too, right? The Catholic Church, the medical community, the Armenians. He, Tom Katina just won a $1.1 million uh, prize called the Aurora Prize. I don't know if anybody's heard of it, uh, but it was in Yerevan, and all that money is going to go to the to the hospital. Uh, but he is uh, now a, a celebrity in Armenia. Uh, uh, but there are pockets of the Sudanese, uh, you know, all over the United States. There are pockets of Armenians. There are medical. There's Catholics. There are people that really have reacted to this film, and we're going to build it through that kind of uh, uh, foundation. And, and when you began the film, you didn't have all these organizations. You just had, had yourself. None. That's right. And how did you find Tom Katina? I found Tom Katina back in 1982 when we met each other on the football field at Brown University. Uh, in fact, some of the footage uh, up there was uh, I chose all the the uh, the footage uh, for the for the football plays because I was in it. Uh, no, but but that's when we met, and we we had a mantra back then that we have each other's backs. You know, when we play football, you you know you have each other's backs, and we still have each other's backs. Uh, now in real life, uh, you know, 30-some years later. Uh, so that's how I met him. I knew what he was doing. Um, I was very aware of what he was doing. We lost, you know, we lost touch, you know, we lost contact for about uh, 15 years, but I knew he was in Africa. He's been there about 20 years now. Uh, been at this hospital for, this is his 10th year. He's in his 10th year. Uh, we'll complete it here this spring. So I'd always kept in touch with them, but at one point, they sent a truck up, a five-ton truck, with supplies and food for an entire year on this truck, and it was hijacked. And they reached out to the, he did, he reached out to the Brown community, to the football team, and said, listen, guys, I have this major issue. The rainy season is upon us. We just got all of our supplies. We will not make it through unless we can get some of these supplies up. Within less than two weeks, we raised $102,000, bought him a truck, filled it up with more supplies, got it up there two days before the rain started, and, and you know that hospital was, uh, was saved, essentially. So that's how I got involved. Then I thought, when we raised money for that, I thought, you know what? This is a good time to go out and see what, he was, what he's doing. And I pitched, he came in town to, to, uh, uh, to win an award in New York City where he's, he's from upper state, upstate New York. And he came in town and he basically used it as a reason to come back to New York uh, and petition the UN to get them to come back, which of course uh, he came back, had a meeting, and they canceled it on him. So I met him there and I told him about the, my interest in doing the project and he said, absolutely not. No one will be interested in me. I don't want cameras around me. I want to do what I do. Uh, and, I, and I kept on pushing him on it. And he said, listen, if you come out to Goodell, Mother Mercy Hospital, by the way, it's like a seven-day ordeal. He goes, if you do that, you know, then prove to me that you know, you're in really interested in doing this, then I'll, I'll think about it. 
I did it. I got out there, and within two days, they let me start rolling camera, and I got what I got. But you brought your camera with you. I brought my camera okay. with me. And I brought a, a cameraman as well. One cameraman. No one else would go from Los Angeles. Everybody canceled on me. I finally found a guy in Nairobi that would go with me, and no sound man. So I did all the sound, and I did a lot of the shooting. Uh, and the second time I went back, I was there for two weeks. The first time, five, three weeks. The second time, I reached out to that same DP that went the first time. He said, "Hell no, I will never go back," because <laughs> you know, literally, I was held at gunpoint. I had bombs raining around me. Um, everything that Tom Katina basically does on a daily basis. Uh, but that frightened that 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 cameraman, and I couldn't get him back. But I found another guy in Nairobi that was deaf, dumb, and blind, and he went. That's great. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I think that people have a passion for a project or, or that is not a, not a film project necessarily, but just basically a cause, and they just absolutely give themselves to it without thinking too much about, uh, you know, the ones that haven't been to Sundance or the ones that think they're going to go to Sundance. But, you know, but normally you, you just say, okay, I'll just go do this and I don't care what's going to happen to it. Uh, and uh, so uh, it's just an another model, another way of thinking about documentaries and in terms of uh, a lot of documentaries are shown in churches, they're shown in, in uh, meetings of, of interested groups. Amnesty would say, let's show a film and we'll show yours. So it's not necessarily a film that would show up, uh, you know, over at the Sunset Theaters here. It would, they're, they're films that show up in, in very specialized places and, and of course, on the Internet. Uh, now, though, it will be distributed. So that's, you know, more, more good news. More awareness. More, yeah. That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, Nicholas Kristof uh, wrote three articles. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows who Nicholas Kristof is, Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter for The New York Times. He wrote three articles and has raised over $450,000 for Tom. So far, just our screenings that we've done, and you know, in a in a very grassroots way, we've raised over two hundred thousand. Uh, so, coupled with the one point one that he, he he just won for the Aurora Prize, we're close to two million dollars. Our efforts uh, over the last two years. So, to me, that's great because it funds the hospital, it saves lives, but we're also creating awareness, and that's the key to put pressure on Bashir. And to to you know uh, make sure that people like yourselves see something like this and are willing to tell others and perhaps you know be motivated to go on heartofnuba.com and and become a witness, sign on as a witness, or or write your congressman or congresswoman or or your elected officials or or donate through the 501c3 that we've set up. 100% goes. So all these things lead to one path, and that is to 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 create awareness. Uh, to get this problem, to get this issue to stop. And that's why I'm going back to see Bashir tomorrow. Um, and that's why I'm continuing to put the, the proverbial pedal to the metal because I want this to stop for good. Ceasefire is great, but tomorrow it may start again. I want it in writing, and I want a humanitarian corridor so we can make a difference. Well, good luck. Thank you. Um, I wanted to... Um I'm going to open this questions in one second. I just wanted to put your documentary filmmaker hat on, which uh, is uh, got a lot of little badges on, a lot of work. Uh, what one of the things you do when when you, when you work on a documentary is if you have a character that a lead character that's that charismatic and that interesting, uh, and it's a tremendous help, isn't it? I mean, it's something that we see in a lot of the documentaries we run here, even. 
the, the, the there's a lead, there's a star. And uh, if you just think about it, and if you don't get that charisma in, in that person, if they don't communicate. So, I mean, do you feel lucky that, that you, I mean, was that one of the reasons, there's a better question, is that yes. one of the reasons why you were interested in not just the cause, but you knew as a filmmaker, wait a minute, this is going to work, I think. He inspired me. He's always inspired me. When I met with him in New York, he inspired me. When I brought this project to Jeff Werner, who edited Go Tigers, I don't know if anybody saw Go Tigers, he was the editor on that, uh, and did an outstanding job. When I met with, with Jeff and said, are you interested in this? He said, no. I really want, don't want to do another you know, a film about Africa, another doctor in Africa, I'll pass. I said, just just look at a little bit of this footage. He goes, okay, you know, obligatory nod. Puts on headset, we're in Starbucks over in Brentwood. Puts on his head, uh, put on a set of headsets, watches it, and he puts the headset down and says, I'll do it. Uh, one of the, you know, we always say that uh, casting is uh, such a huge part of uh, filmmaking, you know, scripted. And when you cast, you know, characters for, if you want to call it casting for a documentary, it's the same thing. Are you interested in this person? Will you watch them? What do they bring? And what, what's unique about them? And what is their story? And how can they tell their story? And he just had all of that in spades. One thing he does not have, which we, which filmmakers love, is he didn't create a lot of drama for us. He's not a broken person in any way that I could find. Uh, yeah, he said shit a few times, and you know he he got frustrated here and there just a little bit. But he's pretty much even keeled, straight down the fairway kind of guy. And I was hoping to see him break a couple times, but I didn't think he would because he's a nose guard, he's tough as nails, and he's a doctor. So I didn't think that was going to happen. But I was somewhat disappointed when I came back, and I didn't have that moment where he just goes, "I'm I'm 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 done." Now he did when. You know the measles scene. He does get upset and uh, uptight, and we utilize that. But still, he's just rock solid every day, which is what you want your doctor to be, uh, and a person that's out there on the front lines to be. But it made it more difficult uh, to to make a film because you're looking for that quintessential moment where they break, and then they rebuild themselves, and that arc is complete or is is larger than what we have. But he is a character that's not. He's just not fallible. He's just you know steady, uh, which makes him the great character he is, but would have been easier, I think, to make Yeah, but you had other well. other things happening and bombings and things like that, so you yes. had some help. <laughs> yes, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, you know, characters, you know... The, you no, know. I think the idea that you have a, a, such a strong, interesting character is uh, is great to have that. I mean, that's, that's important to any film. Let me see if anybody has any questions. And uh, uh, Back in the back. I... Yeah, well, the costs are still growing. Uh, I leave tomorrow, so they're continuing to grow. So it's a work in progress, if you will. Uh, but the film that you see right here, which is our our you know final film. Now, if I get something good when I go back, we may put in another uh, postscript, another addendum. You know, uh, but but it is effectively done. It, it, the film, uh, because I did everything as cheaply as I could. You're looking at four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. A lot of that was in editorial. A lot of that was in post. Um, that was mostly Jeff's fee, right? Um, that's Jeff that, Warner's no, fee? No, and that's all oh. deferred. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> uh, just kidding. So we shot for uh, three days in uh, New England, uh, in Rhode Island, uh, my, uh, uh, my, my, the state that I love so much, uh, where Brown is. Uh, then we uh, shot for uh, five and a half weeks in, uh, in, uh, in Sudan in, uh, at the Mother Mercy Hospital. And then we shot uh, a little afterwards uh, 
um, in New York uh, to get some pickups with the football players. So, you know, I mean, I'd say six and a half weeks of, of shooting. Um, and But it was flying economy, uh, middle, you know, last row, middle of the row, seat doesn't go back, you know, back and forth and back and forth, that kind of thing that, you know, and the costs, once I got there, there was no cost. The church, the church helped out in a big way, the Catholic Church. Um, they uh, provided the transportation up, and I stayed in a, you know, next to Tom uh, in in uh, the compound. So that cost me nothing. Uh, most of it came in post, uh, uh, but the the uh, numbers are still growing because of uh, you know this next trip. But but it's it, it, the ballpark. It's 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 about that, under five hundred thousand. Yeah, but was does it look that way? Then? I mean, is it? <laughs> Uh, I yeah. when when he asked the question, I was thinking, oh, they yeah. never answer that. <laughs> so thank you for answering that. We yeah, never I used get to that. say it's uh, more than El Mariachi and less than Titanic, but that dates me. So <laughs> it's a struggle, and I and I self financed it, uh, and I expect to see none of it back. Uh, and I consider it a mitzvah. I consider it, you know, you know, bettering the uh, the world. And I, my wife said to me the other day, because I was, you know, hanging my head like, wow, I have not, you know, made any of this back. I've I've raised two hundred and some thousand dollars for this cause, but I haven't put anything back in my po- pocket. And my wife said, you know, that's not about that. You know that. Get over it. Which I really appreciated because you know we have to pay a mortgage. Um, but that that's you know that. That's what I am doing this for. I have other revenue streams that I can lean on. This is about creating awareness and affecting change and making the world a better place. Great. Uh, yes, way in the back. Great question. Um, to back up, when I showed it to the, the Mahdi Ibrahim in my, in my theater, my, my basement, uh, uh, when I showed it to him, when he screened it, he wept. This is the Paul Ryan of Sudan, if you will. Okay? He wept. This is a man that I told him in Washington, D.C., I don't know if I'm going to show this to you, but if you come out here and I have lunch with you and I think that you're the right person to see this, uh, I'll show it to you. After two hours with this guy, combination of MLK meets James Earl Jones, amazing human being, I decided to show it to him. At the end, he was weeping uncontrollably. And I said, I, I said, I, I, I gave him a little moment. I said, but I, I don't understand how you could react this way when it's your government doing this, right? And he said, we knew that we were bombing rebels and strongholds for you know the military, but I had no idea my brothers and sisters were caught in the cross, you know, hairs like this. I had no idea. The, the media is so limited there. It is so tight that I, I almost believe that. Nicholas Kristof said, make sure you check his tears for authenticity. <laughs> That's how much we didn't believe this. But he took it back and was good on his word, showed Bashir, and Bashir reacted, as he said, in a similar way. I said, how could that possibly be? That's theatrics. I will find out on Sunday when I interview him. I, I honestly think that they want to use me as a propaganda tool. I'm well aware of that. But if I could get quotes, if I could get in front of him and impress upon him my, my desires, I'm hoping that that will, will put us in a position where they will not you know, uh, start bombing again, where they will hold the ceasefire and they will create a humanitarian corridor, pie in the sky, 
I'm an idiot, perhaps, uh, but I am a believer. I'm a person that looks at the glass, the proverbial glass half full, and I'm going to go for it. I mean, I went over to Sudan and shot this. God's honest truth held at gunpoint. Thought I was going to lose my life in South Sudan. Went into Sudan, first drive up there, bombs raining around me. Thought I was going to lose my life. I went back after that. Why? Because of Tom Katina. Because the hope he can bring, if I can take that and spread it, I think I know the purpose of my life on this earth. What can they do? The retaliation is the rebels, the SPLA north, down in the, in, in the Nuba Mountains and in the Blue Nile districts have reacted. They are reacting to this. They are rebelling against uh, this behavior. But it's, it's, it's you know, spears and, and rocks against Antonovs and Sukhois. I mean, they, they're rebelling, yes, <laughs> telling them we don't want this, we don't want you here, and you promised in the, uh, in, in the Comprehensive Peace uh, uh, Accord that we were going to be separated, part of South Sudan in 2011 when, when, it, when, it was, uh, when it seceded, but he didn't live up to that promise. And so they're upset that they didn't have their freedom. So they rebel. And he's basically saying, you live in, South, in Sudan, in, my, in our country, and you are rebelling, so we have the right then to, to put you down. So there are rebelling, and people are, but you can't even begin to imagine what it's like living in a country with a tyrant. Think of, you know, Idi Amin. Think of Gaddafi. Think, you know, these, these are tyrants. They run a, a, a tight ship. And think of Darfur. Do I need to say any more? Try to rebel against that. Um, did I answer your question? Were there any more questions? If not, I have one. Oh, they're, they're right in the middle. Tom has seen the film, yes, and he, uh, what's a good way to put it? Uh, he's, he's not happy that he's the center of this, but he loved it. And he's thrilled that we're getting it out. And the truth, of the, 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 the truth is that he never wanted this to be about himself. He asked me to make it about the Nuban people and I, I think I held to that promise. He is our through line. He's our main character. But what we did is bring it around, thanks to, to uh, Sarah and to Jeff especially, we brought it around where it's the Nuba people taking over the hospital because that's what really is happening. That's what Tom is setting up. So we try to make it more about the Nuban people, but the God's honest truth is, you know, he's, he's our through line. He's our narrative. Um, but so, you know, he looked at himself. And he's like, oh, geez, you know, but we wanted to go back and have a, a, a screening there on the side of the uh, uh, of the uh, the wall of the hospital. But that wasn't possible because they completely shut off all lines of of uh, movement uh, of any sort of transportation. So we couldn't do it and we still can't do it. But uh, OK, let me just ask one more question and uh, we can get out of here. Um, you can get you have to travel tomorrow, right? <laughs> um, well, good luck on that. Um, I mean it. I mean, it's important to, that um, that it gets in, and I think it should be in the film if, if he's going to say anything that's worth it, you know, if you can still get it in the film. Um, you were telling us about uh, uh, what Tom had to do to help you on the film and shoot some stuff, 
And uh, could you tell us that story about the bombing? And, and uh, that was very interesting, actually. Yeah, I owe a lot to, uh, to, to Boots in the Field, to Tom, uh, obviously for the story, for his passion, for his compassion, for his courage, uh, for who he is. But on top of all of that, this guy had the wherewithal during the bombing to run to the to his uh, desk drawer in his office, which you know, office. It's this makeshift. You were going. You were going. I'm back. not. I wasn't there for that bombing. I was not there. This was Tom ran down and got grabbed the camera that I gave him, uh, that he promised me he would shoot anything and everything that was important. Well, of course he's he was in the OR and the bomb started coming down and he raced over, which is you know half a football field the length the length away, grabbed the camera, thank goodness there's battery because he wasn't really paying a whole lot of attention to this 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 device. And he turned it on and we got what we got, fingers and all, you know. And that's real, and that's Tom, and that's how he is able to multitask. That's how he knew that he had my back. That's how I knew that he had my back, that he was willing to do that during that because he knew if I called him or I texted him or I emailed him and said, Tom, did you get any footage from that you know, hospital bombing? And if he said no, I'd, be, I'd ride his ass. No, but he, he had the wherewithal to do that because that's how he works. Because he wanted to capture that moment because he knew that that would be the evidence uh, that would really present itself, he thinks, he hopes, in the uh, International Criminal Court when there's a hearing. But he was able to do that uh, and shot some other stuff. The whole measles thing, he's holding the camera walking around. He was able to get uh, a lot of footage that we were able to utilize to really bring home the point that uh, uh, this is, uh, this is, uh, uh, this is a, a, an issue that we need to really, uh, really address, to really, you know, uh, to really take seriously and to do something about. So once again, I mean, I saw him at one day, one day he did 17 cases from two DNCs uh, to three amputations to, I mean, some of the most heinous surgeries I've ever seen in my life. He's, after about 12 and a half, 13 hours, he stops down, he goes, okay, that's it. He walks back to the, to the, uh, to the compound, gets out a ladder, goes up, and he scrubs the, uh, he scrubs the, the uh, solar panels uh, because there was a dust storm that day, and without the panels being clean, uh, he wouldn't have electricity the next day to perform his surgeries. He wouldn't have light. He wouldn't have... Yeah. So he's all in. <laughs> he's all in. And that's a great character, and that's a great person, and it gives me hope in humanity, When uh, and I'm thrilled that I know him. You, you want to take another question? I, uh, was there another question? No, I don't there's two. There's one here. Oh, they are. They had their questions. Yeah, yes. <laughs> no, I, 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 we have to stop. We have to wrap. I think. But I you can have talk a question? To you afterwards. Yes, there's two doctors that uh, actually are from the Nuba Mountains. Uh, that the money that uh, that has been raised through Nicholas Kristoff and through our efforts are are going to educate them in Nairobi and in South Sudan, and they will be returning. And the hope is that they will take over uh, Tom's position, and then he will move into a role of emeritus. Um, and, and and just what the last thing is, I, did, you said in passing, and I, I might have heard it wrong, that that there was interest in making a narrative series about him. Yes. And yeah, who would play is. him? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you guys guess. Yeah, you guys guess. Yeah. There who? you go. Okay, you go. fine. Okay, thank you, everyone, and, and thank you very thank much, you. Ken, and thank good you. luck. Best of luck with this. Thank you. Okay, thanks for making that film. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. Don't forget, 
You can check out past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll have a lot more for you in the coming months as award season approaches, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date on the great discussions we have coming up. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.